open your Bibles and let's get into the Easter message this morning here and open them up to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And this is the, this is the, the Last Supper. We're going to read a few verses here. And I got to tell you, like, my, my, my intention today is to really try to take you through a, a full picture of the message of Easter but the history and then the future of what that means in the best way that I can. Obviously, there's hours and hours of reading and study that you could do on this, but I just, I really feel that everybody needs to have a grasp of some of these powerful, critical, foundational truths to our faith. We call ourselves a follower of Jesus. We need to understand some pretty basic foundational things, and I believe that as we travel through Scripture today, we're going to build on that, and we're going we're gonna to set ourselves up to walk out of here and just continue to move forward with a victory and with an authority in our lives because what Jesus did on the cross. So let's start in Matthew 26, the Last Supper, verse 26. And they were eating. Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take this, eat it, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks, gave it to them, and then said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which has been shed for the remission of, for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus introduces something in this conversation that quite frankly the disciples didn't get. They didn't understand this. Like a lot of things that Jesus talked about, the real fullness of that revelation never came until Paul got some deep revelation when he spent three years uh, alone kind of in the wilderness and really receiving revelation from God before he came back and started teaching and, and bringing that to the church. But what he says here, this thing he introduces is, is the new covenant. The new covenant. And that's a powerful term because for, for thousands of years, the Jewish nation has operated under what, what they didn't call it at this time, but the old covenant. They were already operating under a covenant that God had instituted with Abraham some couple thousand years before that. So when Jesus says, this is the blood of, for the new covenant, it, it had to just be like, what in the world is he talking about? But now as we see the scriptures today, we can look back and we can understand it more. But you've got to realize that this was kind of like a turning point in, in all of history. You're familiar with what an axis point is, right? Where it's like things pivot on an axis point. Look, the birth and, and then the death and resurrection of Jesus was the axis point of history. There's a reason why the, the majority of the world recognizes a calendar of B.C. and A.D., right? B.C. is before Christ. That's before he was born. A.D., means Anno Domini in Latin, which means the year of the Lord. And the entire world recognizes that somehow, for some reason, even though they may not subscribe to the faith of Jesus Christ, but something happened at this point in history that changed everything. There was before and then there was after, right? And so obviously this idea of a new covenant was instituted. And what the Bible tells us that we'll see today is an old covenant was done away with, but a new covenant was brought to pass. Now, what I want to try to get us to see, first of all, is a little bit about what that new covenant was. Okay, so first in Genesis, let's go to the garden. And you have to understand that when God created man, he created Adam and Eve, he did something very profound. Put chapter 2 verse 7 up there. It says that after he created man, he 
breathed his spirit into him. He breathed his spirit into him. And so what happened is, is he became alive. Now, this isn't just physically. This is spiritually. He became alive on the inside, meaning the spirit of God was actually living on the inside of Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, we all know that story. We won't go through that. But when they sinned, basically what happened is that that spirit of God that he had breathed into them basically came out of them. And then there was this separation now that man and God had where God had really fully intended for man to not be separated separated but to live in relationship with him but they blew it they messed it up and so now from that point on something had to be done to give man a way back into a relationship with God which was the will of God for his creation all along so we see here as the Old Testament goes forward that God comes in he makes a covenant with Abraham I'm not going to read those verses because we're going to try to move through some of this today but in Genesis 15 God made a covenant with Abraham where he said I'm going to bless your descendants as numerous as the seashore as the sand on the seashore the stars in the sky basically what he's saying is you're gonna be my people you're going to be a chosen people that are going to be in relate and that are going to be under a covenant with me that I am going to watch over and I'm going to bless. And so the seed of Abraham from that on that point on was under this covenant with God. And then when Moses came along, God introduced something called the 10 commandments, which was the law, which was a way it was kind of like he was reinforcing the covenant that he had already made with Abraham. But here's the thing about the law, you got to understand that the Ten Commandments were something that God gave man to try to keep him moving in a direction towards him. But God understood all along that he had a plan a few thousand years later to bring a Messiah. So there's a, there's a word the Bible uses called forbearance which is huge because it means man deserved punishment for sin, but God withheld the punishment in his divine forbearance so that he could allow time to pass for a Messiah to come and introduce a solution or a provision for man to get a relationship back with God. Now, Paul calls the law the law of sin and death. I want to read that one with you. This is in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. It says, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So what he says is, even though the law was given these Ten Commandments, there was no way for man to be able to uphold them. There was no way for man to be able to walk free of sin. So the, the law, basically, even though it was a guiding tool, the Ten Commandments, to get man to Jesus, to, or to get man back to God, ultimately there was no way that it could ever have been fulfilled. All it did was make us aware of the fact, it helped us see, eventually, that we needed a Savior. That we had to have someone like Jesus to come and be our substitution and stand in place for us so that we could have that relationship back with God because we couldn't get there ourselves. I said that earlier today, you can't earn anything, right? And that's what man was basically trying to do. They were trying to earn their way under into God's blessing, but it was impossible for them to do that. So then what happens is in, in the course of this, uh, of this law, God gives something that he calls a day of atonement. He calls a day of atonement. And basically, once a year, what would happen is that the high priest of Israel, one day a year, one day, 
the high priest of Israel would take a goat and they would sacrifice this goat in the temple which was called the where was called the holy of holies where the presence of God lived remember that point in the holy of holies the presence of God dwelled and so one day a year the the high priest he would take this goat that they would sacrifice and it says that he would put the sins of the nation on that goat and what God would do I can't even figure this one out in my mind. But somehow God would accept that as a sacrifice and forgive the sins of the nation so that they could be sort of washed clean and that they could be in a, under covenant and walk in that, in that uh, blessing of God. It was an amazing thing, but it happened one day a year. And this is crazy, but the high priest, he had to get his stuff and get out of there because if he stayed longer than the 24 hours, if he was still in there, he would die because the presence of God would kill him. So the presence of God is dwelling in this place called the Holy of Holies, right? And, and so basically from that point on, for the next couple of thousand years, the Day of Atonement happens once a year, every year, and all of the nation of Israel is like, oh, thank God, you know, the high priest is going in for us, and he's going he's gonna to sacrifice this goat, and then God's going to forgive our sins, and we're going to be made right with God again. But obviously... Obviously, this was only a temporary solution. See, what happened is after a couple thousand years went by, something came along called the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception. And the Son of God, Jesus, came to live on this earth with us in a human body. It's, it's the Immaculate Conception. And what Jesus did as he was born into this earth, and this is amazing, he actually walked out the law. He fulfilled it. Like, he never sinned. Only person to ever walked the earth that did that. But he lived a perfect life and never sinned. He upheld the law to the full degree. He had to do that. Because we know, obviously, he went to the cross. What we're going to talk about is he ended up being that sacrifice. But it had to be a perfect sacrifice. It had to be a perfect one, free of spot and blemish. And so, so Jesus comes, and he is born. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Bible calls him a lamb. You find that interesting? Why do you think they called him a lamb? Because he was a sacrifice. Because he was intended to be the sacrificial lamb, not this year, the Day of Atonement, the priest going in with a, a, a hairy little lamb. This was the Son of God was going to be the one and final forever lamb that would get sacrificed for our sins. His blood would have to be spilled because blood had to be spilled in the temple of the Holy of Holies. But once that was done, then forgiveness could be given to all who would call on Jesus as Lord from that point on. Now, listen to this. As Jesus goes to the cross... He says something in, in the Bible. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is, a, this is a powerful revelation, okay? Because there was a moment on there in there where Jesus was on the cross where actually God was separated from him. There was a moment there where Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? 
Do you understand why that is? It was because Jesus actually had the sin of the world put on him. The Bible says, him who knew no sin became sin for us that we might experience the righteousness of God. So when Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? It's because he literally bore the sin of the world on his physical body and God had to take his to step back from his son so that sin could so that sacrifice could be made once and for all you I mean Jesus sweated blood in the garden before he went to the cross because he could feel the weight of what was coming he understood the magnitude of what he was about to endure he, he actually sweat blood it really happened the scriptures tell us that because he knew what was about to take place. And when he got on that cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he became sin. And when he breathed his last, right before he breathed his last breath, he says, it is finished. It is finished. Now listen to this. This is amazing. I don't know how you feel about it, but it blows me away. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, right after that happened, you think this wasn't the Son of God. Listen to this. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks split. Can you imagine that? The guy dies and an earthquake happens. Ugh. Uh-oh, I think we might have messed up here, you know? Like, guy might, might have been in who he said he was. Uh, listen to this. The rocks were split and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Do you get this? Hundreds of people that were dead came out of the grave and started showing up in the city. What would you think of that? Like if all of a sudden we walked out of here today in Waterloo and dead people are running around. I mean, I know the zombie apocalypse is coming, but that's not what we're talking about here, right? This is the real stuff. And, and so what are these dead in Christ? Listen, remember the word forbearance? See, all of those that were under covenant with God, under the original old covenant, as, as time went on, if, if they had faith and believed the promise of God that was coming, that they were under covenant with him and that God had a promise to bring a Messiah, to bring a king. If they were under that covenant, then the Bible says that they died in Christ. They were asleep in Christ, which means they weren't going to be going to eternal damnation in hell. It means they had a resting place until Jesus did what he did and then they were set free. They were Jesus burst the graves open and those who were asleep in Christ because now Jesus had finished the work, now they could go in to heaven to be with God for eternity after that is that amazing or what but look for me and you we're AD baby we're AD we don't got to die and go rest for a little bit we're right up there with Jesus as soon as we leave this earth right I'm glad I'm on the AD side I don't know about you BC side sounds a little bit I'm not sure what was happening in that resting place you know they call it the underground the under earth I don't know I'm not sure I mean I'm sure they were anyway but so so they rose, the, the graves burst open, and then uh, listen to this. So Jesus spent three days after he died on the cross, before he was resurrected on Easter Sunday that we celebrate today. He spent three days in that time 
And, it, and it's, it, look, there's parts of this that are not totally clear to me, and some scholars disagree on this, so I just say that to you so you understand it. But he was definitely, from what the Bible tells us, he was definitely in the underworld. He definitely went down and he ministered to or he preached to those who did not hear the voices of the prophets, the Bible says. And it says that he disarmed the powers and principalities and made a public spectacle of them. So he went down and basically showed all of the underworld, I am exactly who I said I was, and you didn't stop what God had planned for 2,000 plus years to happen. It happened, and now my children will have authority over you, and my children will walk in a new covenant with me. He declared it to the underworld, basically. And so then after that, and they call that Hades, by the way. It's not hell. Hades is the word for underworld. Hell is after Jesus comes back in the lake of fire. That's whenever hell gets introduced, the lake of fire, eternal damnation and torment. This is Hades. This is the underworld at this point. So then it says that he rose from the death and he defeated, he rose from the dead and defeated death. So on Easter, Jesus is obviously resurrected. And that's where we get the scripture uh, in 1 Corinthians where it says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Jesus beat it. He defeated it. It was over, right? And then this is interesting. So Jesus spends, he spends about 40 days after he's resurrected here walking with people on the earth. I think he just kind of appeared and, and went out, went in and went out. And I mean, that was, a, I had to just be amazing, right? He was here for 40 days. But after he was with people for 40 days, it said in one point that like 500 people saw him at one time. So, I mean, this is, history records this, right? Like, it isn't just, oh, somebody saw him after he was dead, and so we say he's resurrected. Hundreds of people saw the resurrected body of Jesus walking the earth after he came back from the grave and beat death. But then, it says that after those 40 days, Jesus ascends into heaven. He ascends into heaven. Let's look at that in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Jesus is on the earth, resurrected body, speaking to the disciples. He says, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, so will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And we believe that Jesus is coming back, that there's going to be a return of Jesus Christ and he will reign on this earth, right? That Bible's filled with prophecy about that. But think of this. It says he ascended into heaven and then a cloud received him and two men in white apparel were next to him. It doesn't say angels. So it's interesting. A lot of scholars actually say that this cloud and these two people in white were part of the people that were asleep in Christ. They were waiting for Jesus to finish so that they could go up into heaven when he ascended with him because listen to what he did when he got there. This is where it all comes together, baby. Listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus, the Lamb Himself, 
took his blood, went into the Holy of Holies before the Father God, and he spilled his blood out. He laid his blood out on that mercy seat so that the sacrifice, the final one perfect sacrifice was made so that no sacrifice ever had to be made like that again. And it was done. God says, it, I accept it. I accept the blood. It's perfect blood. It's untainted. And now from here on out, all of those who call on Jesus is Lord. Because when I look at that mercy seat, I see his blood. I will forgive them of their sins. And they will have a way into a relationship with me from here on out. Jesus looked at, Jesus brought the blood into the Holy of Holies and he laid it out. Now think about this. The high priest of Israel is the one who sentenced Jesus to his death on the cross. He didn't realize it, but he put himself out of a job, you know, because now he didn't ever have to go in there again after that. It didn't matter. It was nullified. It says that the veil was ripped, and the Holy of Holies, the presence of God was no more. Where did it go? Where did the presence of God go if it no longer dwelt in the Holy of Holies? I'll tell you where it went. It went into you and me. It came to live as the Holy Spirit in all of us because when we call Jesus Lord, the Bible says you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. When we accept him and we believe in him and we make him Lord of our lives, God breathes his spirit back into us. We are alive physically but not spiritually until he breathes his spirit back into us and then we are born again and God recognizes us as his child and he says you're gonna spend eternity with me when you leave that earth because my spirit lives in you but it lives in you because of the blood that was shed the perfect blood for all is that amazing or what no more offering of atonement and at that point the new covenant was established it was established. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. And in that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled, the Bible says he didn't come, he, he didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. We could never do what the law demanded us to do. But now we've received the Spirit of God. And with the Spirit of God comes power and comes authority and the ability to live out a destiny and a purpose that's been handcrafted and marked by you for you by God that you need His Spirit and His empowerment to do. You have to walk in authority if you're going to walk out of destiny. And God gives you that authority by His Spirit when He breathes it into you and you walk in power. Amen? Jesus poured out His Holy Spirit on those that were there at Pentecost in Acts chapter 1. Listen to this. Jesus said before he ascended, he said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea. He poured out his Spirit upon them, and men became empowered. That's when the term born again starts to actually be effective because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes to live on the inside of us. The new covenant, it says, is written, the law is written in our hearts now, not on tablets because the Spirit of God lives in us. It convicts us and it empowers us to walk out the purpose and the destiny that God has for us. There's a new holy of holies now and it's in you and it's in me. It's not in some temple made with hands. 
And so I just want to ask you this today. Let me say this. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? There's no more temple made with hands. You, our, our bodies, the Bible tells us, are the temples of the living God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. We're citizens of heaven now, when God's Spirit lives on the inside of us. With the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is amazing. Listen, the church of God, it's not a building. It's, it's us. The Bible says that we are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. So we are the temple now. But collectively, together, we are bound together, arm in arm, in this thing that Jesus is called, that we, we call the church. The church fitted together, it's, the Bible says we're all like living stones that we form together to form this institution that is Jesus' church that when it's locked together and moving together is the most powerful transformational organization on the face of the planet. Let me say this, the world needs something drastic right now. Our world needs something absolutely extreme to change the landscape. And there is nothing that will change it more powerfully, more transformationally, more swiftly, and more supernaturally than the church of God. Living stones, us, with God's Spirit in us, living out our destiny, walking together, strengthening one another, and watching God's Spirit be poured out on more and more and more people in our land. We don't need... You, you can't... You can't make laws, you can't do, there's, you can't do the things physically in, by the wisdom of man that need to be done to see a transformation in a world. You just can't do it. We need the Spirit of God, and I'm telling you, He's alive today in each and every person that calls Jesus Lord. Amen.